Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. People talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Tonight, we have the Master of Ceremonies, the Almighty, the Unwavering, the Amazing CBS. Hello. And you got me, the Master Disaster, Josh45. How's it going, buddy? I'm doing all right, man. Tonight is episode number 129. And we're going to talk about these things tonight. You ready? Basketful of Heads number one by DC on the uh, Black Label imprint. Conan number 20 of... (laughs) Conan 2099 one-shot from Marvel Comics. That's right. Conan the Barbarian. Yes. I keep thinking Conan like... No. Like TBS. Like, Two totally different dudes. Like, hey! Like, yeah, no. Philadelphia number one from Image Comics. Batman Beyond number 38 from DC. And we're going to round out the evening with Deadpool number one from Marvel Comics. Right? Yeah. So what's up, Dater? Oh, not a lot, man. Uh, well, before we go into books or whatever, I don't feel like it was a terribly busy week for news. I mean, we just had Thanksgiving holiday, so part of the industry shuts down for that, so... Anyway, uh, do you have any any news there, Josh? I do have some news. What's in the news? What's in the news? So there's a Picard prequel TV show. Co- it's a actually a sequel to the original. Um, it's TV actually series, it's yeah. it's from it's the sequel to everything currently in Star mm-hmm. Wars uni- or Star Trek universe. My bad. There's a comic that's a prequel to the TV show coming out. Yes, there is. And in that, they kind of hint at the. It's it's all canon that the emotion ship that Data had in him is put into B4 and it uploads all of Data's memories and everything. So Data is currently around still, and he is currently the captain of the Enterprise. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, well, I was gonna say I think it's a I think it's a four part miniseries. I think for the Picard stuff is either four or five. I can't remember how long it is. But yeah, issue one of it actually came out this last week, I think. So, other than the cover. The only people, like, that are rumored to maybe be the captain, which they've kind of already debunked it, is, um, Beverly Crusher, but she's supposed to be back on Earth, I think. Like, they go through and kind of talk about where everybody's at, but Donna Troy and Riker are supposed to be on another ship, and it all take, this whole thing, this whole miniseries takes, takes place when they're trying to evacuate Romulus from a supernova that's getting ready to explode, I guess. Oh, that's cool. So, we'll see how that goes. I mean, I'm pretty stoked on the TV show. Yeah, I mean, what little bit they showed off for out in San Diego at the Comic-Con looked cool. I mean, they had like a whole experience booth set up. It didn't really give you a lot, but it was cool. So, I mean, there was that. I don't know. As far as anything moving forward, like Next Generation, depending who you are when you start a Star Trek, like that's your jam, depending what you know, what time frame you started. It's my favorite, probably, of the TV shows. I mean, I like the original stuff, amazingly. Sure. Like, it's always, it's, it is what it is. It's great. Right. The next generation ran for so much longer. It had so much more depth to it, to me. It was just a better time for it to be a thing. I mean, as far as, like, a set of shows or whatever, you're talking, like, the, the generational gap between, like, what you could and couldn't do back whenever you had Shatner on there. 
there just was a lot less options. And as far as like TV's concerned, I mean, if you count the cartoon series, they got kind of far, but the animated series, um, it depends on how you feel about that. But episode-wise, yeah, Next Generation definitely ran longer, for sure. Had a bigger cast. Just as far as, like, memorable characters, there's a whole handful of extras on there. I mean, when you talk about the original cast, you have, like, seven OGs. And then when it comes to Next Generation, there's just a whole lot more. So, so I don't I don't know. Maybe somebody's going to probably chastise us in the, the comments section of this. But, like, I don't, where's, where's Wesley Crusher at? You know, I don't know that, actually. I feel like once they took him off the show, that was pretty much just the end of seeing Wesley. No, did he... Was he not in the... He was he, in the TV series. Does he die at some point? No, he goes away to college. Or, well, it's like the Starfleet Academy. So, college in space. Well, Starfleet is in San Francisco. Whatever. Oh. All right. So, he leaves the ship to go to Starfleet Academy. There's a batch of episodes where we go visit him at the Academy, actually. But once they sent him there, they kind of just dropped him out of the regular show. Like mm-hmm. he did the couple guest appearances in the, I want to say there's one episode where I think it's Picard or I can't remember who it is that goes to see him at school, but there's a whole thing that happens there. So he want, there winds up being an episode about that. But yeah, he went away. I, I think it's Starfleet Academy he goes to. It's either that or, yeah, that's gotta be what it was. That's more of a Curtis question than a, than a me question. Because I remember that happening, but chronologically I couldn't tell you when it does. Well, since Curtis hasn't been on the show for a long time he can email us. Sure. Or you can ask him next time he comes in the shop. Yeah I'll ask him. And then we'll be like Curtis said last week Right. That yada yada yada. I'm going to say he's a dude for Star Trek so yeah. I'll, I'll ask him about that. Then I, I know that happened I just don't. Or maybe Dave isn't he a big Star Trek guy? Oh yeah he is too. Yeah. Either one of them actually would probably know the answer to that. I'm going to ask one of them. But yeah, other than that, I don't feel like we really see him in the comics either. Like, th- there's been a couple issues that he's, I mean, he showed up in the last batch of, uh, Next Generation comics, but that's after Will Wheaton's re- weird re-rise to popularity, I guess. I mean, the dude's got a weird path in fandom. Because a lot of people hated him on Next Gen, but now, like, he's got a beard and he does all this gaming stuff, and so now he's, uh, looked at differently. I don't know. I don't understand that whole well, thing. Well, as much as you hate it, um, mm-hmm. Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah, he's on there, too. Oh, he's on the Guild? No, so, but like, he, he shows he's on Big Bang too. Theory as himself. Right. No, yeah, I know that. So it's like kind of... Yeah, his fame on there is lampooned off of the fame between A and B. It's weird. But the fact that he can make fun of himself, I think, is pretty cool. No, I mean, that's that's fine. I mean, when his stuff he did on the Guild was fine, too. Like, I, don't I don't know what the Guild is. It's the... Uh, a web show that was uh, Felicia Day's like launch to fandom. It's a uh, it's about a group of people who play basically built out of her own addiction to World of Warcraft, and so it's a bunch of people that play this online game with each other and eventually meet in real life and then deal with their weird problems and stuff. It's a web show. I mean, I think Felicia's awesome. So, but like as a thing, he winds up being on there as sort of as a nemesis for a minute and then. For a minute, kind of a boyfriend, which is sort of his whole path in everything he's in. But yeah, I don't know. His it's it's just weird. Like, he does a lot of online gaming with. Uh, what else is he sub- kind of boyfriend in? For like a character, yeah. isn't he usually a bad guy that or a good guy that turns or bad guy that turns good? That's not his normal thing. Because in Wheaton? Big Bang, he's basically a bad guy, right? No, he's just Wheaton, and like Sheldon just hates him. Wow. Dive deep and everything. He's just like Wheaton. It's kind of like you and Kevin Smith. It's like. 
everybody's like, why does CBS hate Kevin Smith? You have your reasons. They're all like justified, but that's the thing is like, not everybody looks at Kevin Smith as a villain, but to you, he's a villain. Sure. Does that make sense? I can see what you're saying there. So it's just, that's what it is. And then like, they, they kind of like, he's like, oh, I never meant to do that. Oh, this, this, and this. And like, they become friends afterwards. Hmm. Weird. But then Wheaton has a D&D game with a bunch of famous people. I think William Shatner might be one of the people in the D&D game. Right, that's what I was talking about, his online nonsense. But they talk about that. Because D&D became popular again because Stranger Things. I think it was before that, but... I think that's the... No, that's the thing that like made it like... It's rising like commercial current, like TV popularity. Maybe. Because Stranger Things. Those games have been going on for a while, though. There's that group and the Critical Role group that does the same thing. Well, D&D has been popular for decades, but yeah. I'm saying, like, because of Stranger Things, people are like, oh, yeah, D&D, I'm going to start playing again. And people <laughs> who used to play in the old days started playing again. Sure. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, Stranger Things brought that, like, kind of full circle to a lot of people. So speaking of TV shows... The character Nightmare is rumored to appear in the new TV show for Disney Plus, WandaVision. That's um, cool. I, 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 that's, that's just, that's all I, that's all it says. Like, and then there's, they're very tight lipped on everything on that. So. That makes sense. I mean, it's just like with the, the whole Mandalorian thing, like everything was kept very secret, secret until things started happening. And now there's like two different action figures in the world. And where you at on that? Two more. Just episode two still. I've watched three uh-huh. or four. Yeah. Four, four came out already. I tell you what, what I was told. I'll tell you what, man, it's good stuff. I, I, I'm not surprised that it's so good. I'll say that because John Favreau is just incredible. Like what he does, whatever he touches is gold because I think he puts his whole heart into it. He doesn't just call it in. Doesn't just phone it in. And be like, yeah, today make some people shoot some people. Yeah, all right, I'll talk to you guys later. Like, he doesn't do that. Mm, okay. But it's so far so good. It's pretty amazing. Um, And the Rise of Skywalker script, supposedly one of them got stolen and posted on eBay. Uh, there's a bunch of legal drama with it. I don't know what happened with it. I don't know if people read enough of it to be able to leak information. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. Once things are on the internet, you know, there's people that can tell you, I'm not going to name names, but the lead singer from Paramore, once things are on the internet, they'd never go away. That's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, we, we heard about that. Is that apparently it was Disney that wanted buying it off eBay from whoever was selling it. And then that makes me question why they didn't just make more copies. Cause you should or just take pictures of it with their phone and then post like just scenes, right? You know, because that's that enough is going to be. Oh yeah, there's enough. Of I that. just have a feeling that the way the JJ does scripts, that like it might not have been an entire script. It's very very possible. You know what I mean? Because like I don't depending on what cast member it was that supposedly left it, it could be a quarter of scenes that don't actually matter. Do you think the guy that played yeah. Jar Jar got the entire episode one script? Oh, back then for sure. No, you think? I don't know. No way. That's 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 the totally different bag of nuts because they're talking about George Lucas. So, but even he was like that though. Even he was tight lipped because mm-hmm. like they didn't know that Vader was Luke's father in the original script and stuff. But that wasn't from the original. Like the well, decision. Em- no, an Empire. Empire. But like, yeah, that wasn't George's decision. No, but like on, and all that stuff. Like nobody knew. Like oh, they mean the cast. Yeah. Right. Until they saw the actual edited the full version in the theater, they didn't know that's how it played out. 
because that wasn't, yeah, okay, I see, I see what you're saying. In current, in current day, like, too, especially, like, you know, the only person who supposedly knew the entirety of, uh, the Infinity, like, the Marvel, the Marvel game, but just the, in the entire, like, Marvel Cinematic Universe saga was, like, Robert Downey. Right. He was supposedly the only one that knew everything, and how it actually went down. Sure. So, I mean, who knows? Right. JJ's pretty secretive about stuff like that. And then he also has, he also does that thing where he leaks stuff that isn't real just to get people stirred up. He did that with, uh, that Super 8 show or oh, movie, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it very well maybe a complete forge or fake, but if that's the case. I mean, if Disney really is the ones that bought the script back from whoever it was, I mean, good for them, I guess. It's crazy. Yeah. Meh. Not like they don't have the money for it. I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying I hurt them at all. I'm sure they did just fine. So that's what I have for news. Cool. Right on. Well, I guess we can move into uh, books then, right? Yeah, nothing, man. No, man. Like this, like I said, it was a blah week as far as I was concerned. Not anything was impressive. I mean, we have an artist change in issue 84 of Batman, which I mean that's fine, whatever. 85 is the end of the Tom King run, so. After that, he's moving over to Batman Catwoman and going to finish the Batman Catwoman story. So that's a little weird. I don't necessarily know if I like that. I mean, I do. The next team coming on, I think it's a cool, cool batch of people, but I don't like that if you're going to try to get the whole Batman Catwoman storyline, you have to buy volumes like four and five of Batman and then, or maybe four, five, and six of Batman, and then turn around and buy Batman Catwoman, a totally separate book. To get the rest of the end of the story, I, mean, I just don't like that chronologically on a shelf. I guess ultimately it doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. And I think uh, story-wise, the guys getting ready to take over should be interesting. We'll see where it goes next year because there's some stuff supposedly coming down the pipeline I don't like. But who am I to say anything? I guess whatever. But I mean that's not really news. News. That's just the same stuff that you know, same stuff that everybody else has been talking about. So. Blah, blah, blah. So what are we starting with? Uh, Conan the Barbarian 2099. Uh, number one. Is Andy Richter in this? Uh, no. That's mm. a different, it's a different, uh, Conan. Oh, he's working on movies here during this time? I'm gonna say this time because it's 2099, he's probably dead. Nah. Unless he's had his head cut off and saved in a freezer, which I mean, that's possible. So if, if he's a Futurama himself, then yeah. I don't know what he'd be doing. <laughs> Uh, nothing to do with this whatsoever. Uh, anyhow, so right now we're getting a batch of 2099 books. Um, so this is one of those. So it was written by Jerry Duggan, which, uh, you folks should know from Deadpool and a whole handful of other books. And, uh, the artist, the artist on this one is, uh, Rohe Antonio, or Rohe Antonio. It's R-O-G-E with the asterisk on top of it. So I'm sure there's a flair on the E that I don't know how to pronounce. Anyhow, uh, so when this book starts, we open up, uh, in, I want to say it's modern, well, kind of modern time with Conan, and we're basically getting an overview of the stuff he's done. So if you don't know what's going on with Conan right now, we had him time travel with the Avengers to present time, and, uh, at this point he's on the Savage Avenger team, and, uh, you know, doing Conan things. So we kind of get, like, him going over an overview of him, of his history, like, in his head. And while he's doing that, we see this figure climbing up the side of a building uh, in, like, future-looking, I don't know, future-looking city, because all the buildings are very uh, stylized skyscrapers. So 
about the middle of the page, we get a punch where the dude who's climbing with the window smashes through the window, and he enters into a room where we find all these other guys sitting around a table chanting that they all hail uh, King Tar- Tarlock. And part of the review, that, or part of the uh, monologue from Conan, the inner thoughts, has to do with a new king trying to overthrow him on the outside of his realm as king. And, uh, well, now he's here to fix the problem. And we see the guys at the table, and they're all... Like, the way they dress is very, I don't know, like, future Norrisy. I don't even know how to really describe it, really. Because there's a guy that has part of a bird mask on, and another guy who's got what, I don't know, kind of looks like a set of glasses from, like, Back to the Future 2, like, future glasses. And then the other, one of the other dudes has a space helmet and a bunch of, like, crazy feather, feathers sticking out of it, so... Like, they're all very... I don't know, barbarian-looking, but future barbarians? Does that make sense? No, uh, like Mad Maxian? Yeah, Mad Maxian, that's better. Very Mad Maxi is what we've got Mad going Maxian. On. Mad Maxian. Okay. Anyhow, so about that time, Conan drops into the room, and he's like... He basically tells him that, well, if they want to overthrow him, they're going to have to start with him. And uh, he starts taking dudes out right and left. I mean, full-on battle axe. The guy who they're all propping up to be the new king, he takes, he dispatches him fairly quickly, mostly by cutting open his head. And then he goes around the room trashing everyone else. And while he's doing this, like, we, two of them notice him talking to himself, and they're like, oh, quick, we need to do something while he's distracted. And it's clear that he's been, there's something else that he's, is either he's gone crazy or, I mean, we get the answer in a second. All the people think he's mad also. They think he's the mad king at this point because he just talks to himself and uh, he looks no different age-wise than he would look ever. Like, Conan just didn't age at all. Anyway, he dispatches those two. And uh, shortly after that, we kind of flash... We flash to the point of him being coronated. So years before where we're at right now, he's uh, collecting... Like, a lot of people come to uh, present him with treasures for him becoming the new king and taking care of the old king. And now they're going to serve him. And as they're, they're delivering their prizes of homage or whatever... One of them comes up, and it happens to be this witch, Mordred. And, well, Mordred, if you know the name... Morgan. Well, Morgan, sorry, Morgan Le Fay, is like a classic villain witch lady. And uh, Conan, when he, when he first sees who she is, he tells, him, tells her he wants nothing to do with her, and that he's not going to provide her sovereign state to stay away from where, she, where she's escaping from. And we allude to the idea that wherever she's running from, she's caused all kinds of problems, and now that whole faction of country wants to kill her. And so she's hoping to come here and draw line size with Conan so she can serve him or basically use him as a shelter to protect her from the others that want to kill her. And he, he, of course, he tells her no, that he wants nothing to do with her. And at that point, she says, well, if you're not going to join me peacefully, then I guess we'll do it the hard way. And she opens a little box she brings, and inside it, she has these crazy specter skull, like, I don't know, ghosts that go after him. And of course, Conan lets her know he's not afraid of ghosts. Conan doesn't put up with anybody's stuff at all. And he pretty well draws his sword down on her, and she tells him, oh, you can't kill me. And at that point, he kills her. <laughs> uh, which is, it's, it's just, if you know Conan at all, it's awesome. Um, and then, of course, as she's dying, she can't believe she's dying, she curses him. And the curse she begets on him is that he will see his land burned, and he will not get released from life until his own 
earth burns beneath his feet, and she curses him to haunt him. And then we wind up seeing like some flashes of Conan out with his people, and everything looks fine and dandy. And then we flash forward a short period of time, and all the people are gone, and the fields are all barren, and the little huts are all rubble, and just everything is trashed. Trees are completely barren too. So like, the kingdom is turning into a wasteland, and there stands Morgan, and she's just taunting him. And then we flash forward again, and we have Conan walking through his alleyway, and he comes across a couple of these kids who are f- pillaging for through the trash for food or whatever. And when they come across Conan, of course, the one kid pulls out this pop can, and he's like, oh, here, my liege drink, you know, like, because he's the king. And then he, he just walks through them without any weirdness at all, and both the kids are like, oh, he must be better. I'm like, uh, man, he's not talking to himself. Crazy. Well, he returns to the throne... And he destroys the throne, and uh, of course, the whole time, she's just taunting him. And, like, no one can see her because she's inside of his head. We have a few more things happen, and Conan decides, well, I'm going to retire as your king because I can't be your king anymore because me being your king is what's causing this this blight or this uh, curse to cause all of you problems. So he scatters his people and tells them all to leave the country, to leave his kingdom, to not serve him, to not be part of his kingdom. And as he wanders through the wasteland after disbanding his people... Because ultimately, once they're not technically serving him, or he's not their king, well, the curse doesn't affect them anymore. And so he winds up walking through the wasteland, there's all these dead bodies and skulls and all kinds of crazy animal parts, you know, from being killed during a war or whatever. And he comes to this particular area where there's legends of things crashing from the sky. And sure enough, we see what looks like a meteor crash. And then a Conan goes to the meteor. And of course, this, this entire time, the hag's just ta- taunting him the entire time. And we find out the meteor crash wasn't a meteor at all. Uh, it appears to be a Nova Corps member who, he's got green skin, and they don't name him. So I don't know if he's supposed to be a scroll or if he's just an alien. But uh, from what we find out as we go through a little bit later, it turns out that Earth's been labeled as a place not to go to because of how messed up it is. And the Novacore itself is even abandoned Earth. Um, anyway, he winds up killing this crazy wolf thing that tries to eat him. And he collects the, uh, the helmet from the, uh, from the Novacore member. And the Novacore member gives it to him and unlocks it. And he tells him he needs him to return it to the, the place in space he was going. Because apparently what he was really crashing from is being damaged in some type of battle. And there's information that the core needs in the helmet. Well, Conan's met Novacore members before, having been part of the Avengers and around with all the era of heroes. So he collects the helmet, and then he wanders through the wasteland basically wearing it, which is, it looks cool, but on him it kind of looks like a knight's helmet, you know? Because that's how they're shaped. Anyway, he wanders into the city, avoiding uh, people and trying not to get messed up in gangs and having to fight people, because either people want to steal from you or fight you or, or rob you. So, uh, stealing Robin is the same thing. Anyway, going through Badport is like going through, like, think about uh, Snake Plissken in Escape from New York. That's how the world is. So, in the process of going through town, of course, he does with a couple of thugs. And the, the entire time, she, she just continues to taunt him and, like, talk trash to him. Well, eventually, he finds the building he's looking for. And this whole time that he's doing this, like, she just keeps talking about, there's nothing that you're going to get out of this. Like, what do you think you're doing? Ultimately, what she wants is for him to finally give up. And, uh, anyhow, partway through that, he winds up running into what little bit of police force is left, and of course he's wanted. And, uh, so he winds up trying to escape from them for a minute, 
and he winds up getting himself finally into what was the last Novacore base on Earth. And once he gets in, there's a few doors that haven't, like, the entire building itself has been pillaged, but there's a few doors that the pillagers couldn't open because they weren't Novacore members. They didn't have access because they didn't have a helmet. Well, these doors open to him. Once he gets into those doors, he starts uh, going through the, well, information in the helmet, and he sees the last Novacore member on Earth who's sitting in the chair, just a skeleton with his helmet, and the Room wakes up and starts talking to him and informs him his helmet is damaged. He asks if the if the if they can fix his helmet. So of course it does, and he makes ready to blast off and take the last half of the the ship that's the top of the building into space. And this is where things get brilliant because like Conan, generally speaking, he's a barbarian dude, right? But he outwits people. That's basically his whole game. And like he takes off into space, and this whole time the hag is still like taunting him, like, "What do you think you're doing?" Like. You're a fool, Conan. And then he gets out there, and after he's had his helmet repaired, he winds up taking the ship and flying it to the sun. And while he's talking to her at the end, he starts crushing this rock up that he's been carrying with him, this chunk of ground. And he spreads it around on the ship floor, and he stands on top of it. So when she cursed him, she cursed him till he would never be free of her till his soil, or till his earth burned underneath his feet. Till the earth burns right. beneath his feet. Well, he basically just flies the ship as close to the sun as it can go, and it burns everything in the ship, thus burning the, the soil and then burning her because her curse has been outwitted. And because he's got the Novacore helmet, he's able to breathe and fly in space, and it protects him. So even though the ship is destroyed and the earth he bring with him is melted away... All he really does is free himself from the curse, and basically uses with a Nova, a Nova Conan in space to go about his journeys. It's it's I think it's hilarious. Uh, there's a point where he talks about how he hadn't prayed to Crom in a long time because Crom always looked down on him, and now if Crom wanted to see him, he'd have to look up. And I'm like, this is hilarious. It's awesome. That's basically where the story wraps. I mean, it's it's a one shot. It the art's pretty good in it. Like I like the way it looks. If you did Conan stuff, it, it's very it's very Conan-esque because, like, he usually the way like the way Conan works, like I said earlier, he basically just outwits you, and you don't expect him to because he's a barbarian dude. So, generally speaking, you wouldn't think he comes off very smart. Um, like score-wise, I thought it was fun. Like, I enjoyed reading it. Um, I give it a three and a half. I like Conan, um, so I'm predisposed, I guess, to that. But the idea of it being like a Conan 2099 book in the first place, I thought was the weirdest thing ever. But the way that it works and the way they explain how it is a thing at all, I thought it was pretty cool. So, so yeah, that's what I, I give it three and a half. Um, I do also like that once he kills his first batch of guys, he basically gets a sun sword. So it's kind of like a lightsaber. And that reminds me of uh, Thunder of the Barbarian, which is one of my favorites. So, anyhow, uh, so yeah, I give it three and a half. Uh, Josh, what do you know about Conan 2099? I know that I didn't like it. I know that, like, Conan is... I just... We have a history where I sometimes really like it when it's a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it with the original comics where it's, like, ultra-violent and crazy and cutting off of heads and just nonsense and craziness and... We cleaves a couple heads in there. I'm into all the old-school stuff, man. I'm just, like, Marvel bought it. They're trying to cash in on their... Current cash cow, another one. I don't. I, I don't know how that happened. 
I'm confused still as to how they reacquired Conan. Well, whatever whatever happened with Dark Horse, either Dark Horse wasn't able to pay for the renewal of the contract, or the contract holders just decided Disney had more money. I mean, Disney, Marvel, or not Disney, Marvel. Well, same thing, Marvel, Disney. Well, back in the 70s, Marvel was making the Conan comic books. So originally they were coming out the the magazines. Who's the guy that wrote um, Sherlock Holmes? Oh, I you know I should know that, but I is that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? Oh, maybe. I don't know. I'm just I'm, I'm just confused now. It's just a bit confusion. Who wrote the Conan novels? <laughs> I mean, that's a good question. In my head, I felt like that was the right name, but now that you're trying to quiz me, I don't know. I don't know that for sure. I, yeah, I'm not sure about that. But as far as the transfer of power or whatever, so Dark Horse, so, so Marvel, gosh, so back to the Marvel part. So Marvel was making the mag, they did Conan the magazines and they did eventually the comic books also. And that was regular Marvel proper. But at that point, it was like they licensed the rights to do whatever. And there wasn't nearly the same kind of competition in the world. Robert E. Howard. Oh, that's better. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was confused. I was like, I think we're talking about Sherlock Holmes. But yeah. Sherlock Holmes didn't wear a cod piece and, like, swing swords around. I mean, not normally. There's the other stories of Sherlock Holmes. He might have. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if, if, He's if, more if, like a fencing sword, but whatever. I mean, like, fencers wear cod pieces. Yeah. Periodically, depending on things. But. I'm pretty sure you're supposed to. Yeah. I guess I don't know. I've never fenced. Yeah. I mean, I put in fence, but that's a different thing. So anyway, I think that um, before you go into your your Conan um, thing, I I oh, I, it's, it's short. There's not a lot left. I mean, Dark Horse. No, it's yeah. took it over and made it for I don't know, 15 years, and that stuff was all great too. Not that the new stuff's bad. It's not. It's good. I mean, most of it has the same look and feel as the Dark Horse stuff. The grant is not as hardcore as like the early Marvel days or the black and whites. The black and whites didn't have the comic code, so they could do whatever they wanted. So you had full on like, yeah, you full on barbarian ladies and full on like, I don't know, beheadings and stuff. Not that it didn't happen in the Dark Horse because it did, just not as, not as heavily, I guess. Well, I think that him in the future, to me, I'm not a fan of. Like, I just don't like it. I like medieval stuff. I like that kind of sword and sorcery and them trying to put in futuristic terms. In the 2099 universe, which I've always kind of held close to my heart, just because it was, like, my time place as a kid, like, it kind of was there, and it was, like, new and interesting, and it was just, like, I just, I I don't know, I don't like it, man. Like, I just didn't enjoy it. Like, I tried to... You you raved about it for days, and I was like, "Yeah, this sounds so st- so terrible." And I was like, "Yeah, I'll give it a shot." Like, you know, the art's good. I'll give the art a four. Like, I enjoy the art a lot. Um, but the story I thought was like just kind of meh. I feel like I, I you know we we do enough podcasts together that we talk about a lot of stuff. So the amount of information that you can go over, I don't remember everything because there's a lot of it. But I feel like Morgan Le Fay was just in something else that we talked oh, about. Oh, yeah. She was in X-Men. Oh, was that, is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's in, the, she's in the other world. So if you guys listened to the last episode, number 128, 
we go over Excalibur number one. Right, right. She winds up being a part of the plague in Excalibur, like what's going on there. And see, and I love that book, but it's like when you, I think re, they're, they must be trying to make her a big villain again. Maybe. I don't know if these two things naturally necessarily connect, really. I mean, character-wise, she definitely looks older when we see her in this, but whether it's even the same Lafay or not, I don't know that. Because the one that lives in Otherworld, while they have a similar look, they don't, I mean, clearly they're not, they don't look the same. It's the Marvel Universe, and the name's yeah. Morgan Lafay. I think it's the same character. But Otherworld has a King Arthur story, and so does the normal Marvel Universe, too. Hmm. So, like, Otherworld, all that stuff's still happening. Whereas in regular world, like the sword and the stones still happen. So as far as things, I can't be sure it's the same one. I mean, maybe it is, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really think it is. I kind of wish they would have picked a different name, but I guess if eventually that comes to be a thing, then cool. But I don't necessarily think they're supposed to be the same character, really. Earth 1 or 2, like DC style. Mm. Superman Earth 1, Superman Earth 2, the same guy, but they're not the same guy. Seems a weird coincidence, but it's just me. It might just be the timing. I mean, I don't I don't think Jerry... Hang on, is he writing? Gosh, I don't remember who's writing Excalibur now. I don't think it's him, though. But maybe it is. I guess if you guys check episode 128, then you'll know. Right. I don't remember. You think I would, but I don't. You don't. You're worse than me. Uh, that's not true. You remember things? Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely not. Right. Uh, so you want to move on to issue uh, 38 of Batman Beyond? Yeah. All right. Hey, All right. did you score that actual book? I mean, you saw the art, but that's not necessarily how it works. Right. I give the art a four, but I give the story like two. So it balances out of the three. Okay. Go to three-ish. There you go. I'd say two and, a two and three quarters. Okay. Maybe. Sure. And especially because it's a one shot, it's just like, what's the point? Yeah, other it's, than crazy Conan stuff, yeah, I don't know. The end is the best part. Like, that's the only thing that makes the book. Like, they built... It's a massive build-up for... Like, a, a, no, not a massive build-up. It's a very incredibly weak build-up to a really cool end, which is like, oh, you have, like, naked Conan in space with a Nova core helmet. <laughs> it is kind of crazy seeing him walk through space. That's weird. I'm just going to walk. It's like, well, you can fly, you know that, right? Nope, just walking. You don't understand. He he's used to walking the earth, so it's not yeah, not yeah. the same thing it's for like him. Crocodile Dundee's gonna do a walkabout in space when he gets a Nova helmet too. I mean, it would make sense to me. When that happens, call me up. I'll give that book a five out of five. <laughs> All right, Crocodile Dundee's rad. I know. I agree. I don't. I don't even him with the Nova helmet. Awesome. Even more rad. The only thing cooler than Crocodile Dundee. Is a crocodile hunter. God rest his soul. Well, well. We kind of go with Vienna. No helmet, too. Any, oh, and speaking of gnome helmets, interesting. Okay, so that whole thing you were talking about last week with the Nova helmet looking like a piece of cloth is because the Nova helmets that are not the black Nova helmets can shape into a cloth and be folded and put away. Oh. So they actually do change, whereas the black helmets do not. So there's a difference between the two. Because they're more powerful. They're more bruiser type than than the other types. So, yeah, as far as the style, they're supposed to be more your, like, Marines versus your army, I guess. So maybe that's why. But, yeah, they do actually change that way. So that's definitely a thing. Not just crazy. 
But yeah. So yeah, I, that's something I figured out this week when I, I was asking, I talked to Rob about it for a second. Yeah, it definitely is a thing with the, with the right helmets. So this helmet that Conan has could theoretically turn into a cloth, um, fold up also because of what color it is. So, you know. Batman Beyond number 38. If you're not with us, Batman, Batman Beyond, um, Terry has gone missing ish, but. This book is written by Dan Jurgens and it's um, drawn, penciled by Sean Chen. And it has the cover of it. It's actually pretty cool. It's old man Bruce in this crazy, like, old man chair. He probably yells at the TV in it with um, a female Batman Beyond characters, like, lurking above him, like, looming over the top of it. Actually, pretty cool cover. Begins with um, some sort of, like, spy person climbing down the outside of a building, um, getting ready to steal some sort of futuristic tank. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to get rich off this. And he's like talking to the tank like it's some sort of lady. And a female Batman Beyond comes up behind him and slashes him in the back. He's like, yeah, the only thing you're going to do is uh, spend five to seven years. You know, at least you'll get free room and board. And whoops on, whoops up on the guy pretty good. Like the guy doesn't even stand a chance. And then it, um, next next scene is... Old Man Bruce. And if you don't know Batman Beyond at this point, then a quick catch-up. It's like futuristic Batman, Bruce Wayne's still alive, but he's super old. He hires a kid named Terry uh, McGinnis to be Batman, has a suit for him, and it's in the future. I'm not sure the year. It doesn't really say the year, but uh, it's the future. Right. Batman is, like, Bruce Wayne's probably like 80 Yeah, Yeah, at least. So anyway, um, the scene is... Bruce Wayne getting out of like some futuristic floating limo, um, and the bat signal is there, and he's talking to Barbara Gordon, and he's like talking to her as if like she's the one who has stole the Batman suit. Um, Terry McGinnis has gone missing of of sorts. He's right. Um, well, we, we on the run. Right. He's just, he's lost his memories because of something else that happened, and so at this point, Terry's. In the wind, but it also had somebody else take the suit prior to. But, but somebody broke into the back cave and took the suit. Yes, so that's who we're dealing with right now. And Barbara's like, um, "You think I have enough time being commissioner to go and and do this nonsense? Like you're ridiculous, Bruce." And he's like, "Okay, I was double checking." Right. So he basically is accusing her of being the one. She talked a lot of trash to him and like told him he was an idiot, but he's like, "Oh, I was, I was just checking." Like he's kind of like whatever. Right. And then uh, next scene is. Um, Terry's little brother talking to the other person who could probably be Melanie Walker, which I think is Terry's girlfriend. I'm not really sure how they're connected in the story right now, but she was 10 of the Royal Flush Gang until until she decides that that's not a good path for her in life. That's kind she of his girlfriend, I think. She's kind of connected pretty heavily to everybody after she leaves the group, the, the, the Royal Flush Gang. But she's the only other person who Bruce thinks that could have stolen the suit. Right. But... Um, and little kids like, yeah, you, you took the suit and she's like, yeah, I didn't do that. I'm sorry, dude. Like I want to find your brother as much as you because they're kind right. of boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, the previous issues, she wound up using one of the other extra belts to fight the person who had the bat suit at the time, which is a totally different dude. So like, this is coming on like a, a, a theft after a theft even. And the, the second theft is the one we're trying to deal with. So she's used the gadgets before so but the brother assumes it must be her because she knows about the technology right so then the next scene is some lady some woman dressed as like a wizard 
like a wandering mage and Terry like in a baseball hat. Like why she thinks that's a disguise is beyond me, but like it's like a brown like rag cloak thing. It's like are we in are we in Conan twenty ninety nine? No. Anyway, He's, like, got a, he's got a stubbly beard. I mean, he's, you know. He's fine. He look, he looks like he's the future, but every, like, she's like, I'm on a journey to destroy the ring, the one ring. And she's supposed to be a trash person, so, like, she's... Anyway, she, like, she orders him some food and, like, has some, like, a fake ID, basically. And they're like, this, your face doesn't match the card you have. And she's like, the scans are retina and it, like, it works. She's like, I can make you, anybody's retina work for me. Because I'm computer genius. And then Barbara shows up and was like, Terry, what are you doing? We're friends. And he's like, I don't know who the heck is after us. And they start, they t- she, he throws his coffee at her and they take off and run off, just jump off the side of a building. Then they all, like, all of a sudden have rocket boots. And he's like, oh yeah, I can, I can use these rocket boots. Well, I don't remember anything, but I can use rocket boots. The two of them had talk about a, talked about a way to escape if they needed to run. And in the previous issue, they had stolen a truck, and it... And there's rocket boots in the truck. Happened to be boots in the truck. Yeah. So they, like, fly up to the top of the tower, and they have a heart-to-heart talking about um, a supervillain that um, named Blight that she used to work for? Well, yeah, whenever she's talking about how she can use the retina scanners... She's one of the people that helped program the retina scanners, and she used to work for the company that eventually got bought by by Bruce Wayne that had built a bunch of this technology because they're, they're, the whole reason this company got bought, it originally was opened up with uh, as a co-company between Wayne Consolidated and the, the company that Blythe owns. Well, but, he's, but he supposedly died, and he was a big right. radioactive monster because of experiments Super and things. Super villain, yeah. And, well... Next scene is like two security guards just talking about how they're supposed to be like, what are we going to do? Whatever. We got these cool suits. And and it's like some guy, like some computer guy sitting there like just going over stuff. And it's like a picture of Bruce Wayne and him. And then Blight shows up and chokes him and kills him with his super radioactive powers. And Batwoman shows up. And like knocks his security guards out of the way, and they call her Bat Chick, and she's like, "No, nah, it's not Bat Chick, dudes. Not cool. Um, my name's Bat Woman." And she busts through, and, and there's an alert on the Bat computer, and Terry's little brother, and old man Bruce like see her, and they're watching her, like they're wondering whether it's like she's the one that was caused it, and like Bruce is like, well, "I think she's actually like she's showing up because of it," and then it's Blight grabs her as well or knocks her down and grabs her and um he's gonna do some bad things to her it ends on a cliffhanger but uh Derek Powers aka Blight is back and he's got Batwoman by the throat and so that's how it ends yeah the scene's kind of Bane Batman break-esque the way it looks because when he snatched her up he's basically holding her by her by her neck, and it's similar to that whole Bane Batman thing. Do so you have a score for that book there, Josh? Mm, you know, not a big Batman Beyond fan. Future Batman, I don't... I, I, Surprised, huh? I assume you have watched a handful of the shows. Yeah. Okay. So, I like the art. And weirdly, again, I like the art. 
sometimes I'm like, oh, the art's trash, but the store is really good. Sure. But some like, books are that way. I like the art in this. It's four. I like the story in this as well, but I'm not the biggest Batman Beyond fan. Just okay. I'm just not. So I'm gonna get a four altogether. It's a great story. It's great. I like the idea of like a Batwoman, a, a, like a Batman Batwoman Beyond. I like that idea. But to expand that universe, it could be cool. They could do more with it. Um, if they're gonna have it, use it. And I liked it. I'm just curious where they're gonna go with it. Sure. I don't like the non-canon, like, futuristic stuff. Like, this doesn't fit with anything else in, like, the DC universe right now. Like, yeah. futuristic-wise, it's kind of like its own thing. Well, at this point, it's the only book that's really, other than Legion of Superheroes, which is so much farther in the future, only recently, well, within the last, I think, five years, has Batman Beyond been connected to normal continuity. Prior to that, it's all been its own, like, separate reality. Well, why connect in the But why not? I mean, Harley Quinn is, and it's the same, it's the same creators. As far as the, 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 the difference between the two things that Harley Quinn was always placed in the modern, modern world, Batman Beyond's future, like, the first story they did to connect the two things, like, in regular continuity was a future's end story, where we had Batman Beyond Terry travel back in time to, modern current comics and run to Bruce when he was young and everybody else prior to any of this happening. Didn't he first show up in like the Batman vs. Superman? Like when they were doing all the different Batmans and all the different Supermans. Like I think he showed up in that at one point when McGinnis was drawing it. Mm, I don't know if he did or not. I guess I don't remember that. I'm like 99% sure that that happened. Hmm. Batman vs. Superman is not a normal... It's not a, are you talking about the team-up book? Yeah, remember when McGin- like yeah. McGinnis was drawing it? Well, they jumped through. Well, there was Joe Kelly- time jumping in there. Maybe there is one. It was the one. It was the one where yeah. it was yeah, but like, but Batman Beyond showed up in Maybe. the regular DC continuity. Yeah, I think. they they also jumped through a bunch of different realities though. Because we had a reality that had a female Superman and two female Batman, two female Batmans. Uh, then we had another reality that had a blonde Superman that was like a son or something. So that one jumped through a bunch of different realities. It wasn't all. Regular Earth One or Earth Prime stuff. I'm just, I'm just saying that, like, it's gone back as far as that. So I think that might be when it first started really showing up in, like, current DC continuity like yeah, stuff. Yeah, if it's a separate Earth, it doesn't necessarily apply. No, but it showed up though in comics, though. Oh sure. Well, yeah, he was in the. There's a there was a Batman animated, Batman Beyond animated in current comic D- book. I know you're not like in current DC continuity, and just the flow of like current DC comics. In regular continuities, he hadn't shown up before, except I think in that Batman vs Superman. Oh, the first maybe. time he showed up is what I'm saying. Yeah, like, maybe. Yeah, it, it might have been from another reality. You're right. I'm saying I'm saying it probably was, but what I'm saying is that like that's the first time he showed up in actual comics, besides like just a just a regular just Batman Beyond comic. Maybe. And that's kind of brought in. So like, if they're gonna do that, which is cool, I like it. Bring it in. It's neat. Like, it's a neat thing. Like, it's a cool idea. Like, old man Bruce and, like... Sure. Some, like, super special suit that he made and yada yada. The Joker gang. All that stuff. Yeah, we did some stories with them, like, maybe last year. So, yeah. Cool. Um, Alright. Well, score-wise, I give it a three and a half. I liked it, too. Like, art-wise, I dig it. I dig the idea of this other Bat-woman character. I like that we got a mystery chasing it. Uh, it's been interesting with the 
the whole memory loss thing from a different issue. So like a couple issues before this, the whole memory loss thing happens. So that's been interesting. And I, I like the idea that it's not who you would expect. So if this is another unseen party, like at this point I have no guess who it could be. So I think that's cool. I guess we'll see how she does with Blight. And then if that winds up being a normal thing, I guess we'll see if the status quo stays that way. But I dug it. Yeah, I give it a three and a half. It's pretty cool. I mean, I like the way they draw her, but I mean, the costume itself changes slightly by the wearer, which is a benefit the costume has, so I think that's cool, too. And I love Danger, because I think that guy's awesome, so... Um, alright. Well, we're gonna move on to the, uh, Philadelphia from, uh, Image Comics. Uh, I think this guy is written by Rodney Barnes, and the artist on it is, uh, Jason Sean Alexander. Um, this guy... So when we first... When we first open up, we've got a fellow sitting at a computer typing, and he's sending an email... And uh, it's very ominous, like what's being, you know, what he's doing. He's talking about how, in the letter he writes, uh, may God forgive him, and this is this is the only option that he has to do this, and there's not any way to get around it, and he's really sorry. So it's it's pretty dark. Um, then from there we get a whole lot of uh, uh, internal like monologue, and we see that we find out that this guy writing the letter is a, 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 yeah, a detective, and. Uh, He's uh, stationed in Philadelphia, and they've been dealing with a batch of people gone missing. And him and the uh, coroner have uh, encountered a batch of bodies that, when they were found, are, like, blood dry. So whatever's happened to these people, they don't have well, don't have any blood in them once they get to the morgue. And uh, as he's going through trying to find this one particular gang leader who we've seen randomly through the streets... He gets the bead on this character, and he thinks that he thinks he knows what's going on, and uh, he winds up getting a call from the corner lady, and he tell, tells her, "Well, I, I have a bead on him. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go try to find him." And the area that he's in is the place they call Hell Hall. And Hell Hall. So back in the early days, so part of this is based on certain things that are real. There is uh, in the '70s they built a bunch of apartment buildings that were supposed to help lower income housing and help provide places for people to live that, then so they could try to build a family and build a future. And then somewhere in the 80s, it all turned into, like, slum territory and basically being run by gangs and by drugs and everything else. So, of course, that's where he believes he's going to find this fellow. And he gets to the building, and as he starts, he gets inside. Eventually, he finds his room, and there's this all this crazy writing on the wall, and he's calling out for the kid he's looking for. And about that time, he realizes he's not alone. And he's not alone, and there's a lot of people in there. And uh, next thing you know, we find him dead uh, with two other detectives looking at his body. Um, and the one, one of them's the coroner, and it's the lady he was talking to on the phone. And uh, from there, we cut to his son returning uh, to take care of the father's burial. We find out that the, his son is a beat cop, lives in a different city. And uh, once he gets into town, he's always like, well, it's really too bad you're gone, Dad, but, you know, I kind of feel a relief because of it. You know, you always expected so much of me, blah, 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 blah. And so we get a whole lot of his internal monologue, too, which is pretty, it sets up, like, what their life was like. And as he's going through his dad's house, like, we find out Dad had been not, not been home regularly for a while. Like, he's got a fishbowl with dead fish in it. Um, and we get flashbacks to when he was a kid and how rough it was for him as a child growing up in that era with a father that was not the most understanding father. Um, and as he's going through his father's 
house, he winds up finding his dad's journal. And he talks about, oh, you'd probably roll over in your grave if you knew I was reading this, Dad. And so he starts going through it. And as he's reading the last batch of entries, they all sound like super crazy. And Dad's talking about how all these bodies are showing up without blood in them. And then eventually we get to one particular night where he goes to meet the woman that works in the morgue. And she informs him that the bodies have been, are all infected a little bit with something with a yellow fever disease. Which here in the States, yellow fever was beaten a long time ago. We have a cure for it. But certain places overseas, that's still not the case. And we get kind of a weird batch of history dealing with uh, a particular president that may come back with some yellow fever back uh, in his tenure as president. And uh, from there, he starts talking to her about all the bodies and where they think the infection came from. Well, these bodies all have bite marks on them, and they look like people bites. And there's just lots of them. So she's under the belief that whoever is infecting these people is like a whole pack of people, and they all seem to have the disease, and they just bite and attack whoever it is. So the two of them, as they're investigating things, one night he gets a call from her, and there's a disturbance down at the morgue. And so he winds up going to the morgue, and while they're getting ready to enter, there's all this pounding and thudding and banging on the doors. And uh, both of them are like, oh my god, this is crazy, we should call for backup. And he draws his gun, and he's like, no, we got to figure out what's in there. And they open the door, and just as they're getting ready to open it, all the noise stops. And then we get a reveal of the room, and all that's in there are the dead bodies, and they are all on the shelf where they're supposed to be. And both of them are like, did we really hear that? Like, are we going crazy? And then we cut back to Father at his apartment. Like, all this stuff goes kind of out of out of uh, timing, because we're all reading it as, as a piece of red of his journal. So it's not like the story tracks, like... Step A to B to C, it it tracks with gaps in the middle because we're getting it from a second hand of, of the journal. Anyhow, so the father goes home, he starts studying the stuff, he finds out that John Adams, the president, when he came back to the States, he had the fever with him in the first place. So the, the infection, he rang with him. And that makes him wonder, like, what was done about it. Because uh, at one point, there was some vandalism to the president's grave. So he goes to investigate that, and while he's there, he winds up meeting the janitor and talks to the janitor a little bit about the disturbance and what had happened to the uh, the grave itself. And he's, he informs him, well, he just thinks it was grave robbers, you know, in there to steal whatever they could steal. And luckily, they didn't take the body, so the body's still there. And he makes a few jokes about it, but the way things are broken is very questionable. Uh, anyhow, then the uh, father talks about getting another beat on the kid again. This is before the last time he went with the Hell House. Uh, he uh, tracks him down and winds up encountering him in an alleyway where the where he basically gets run down by the, by the kid. And like he draws on him, he falls and shoots at him and hits him. But the kid's running at him with crazy gnashed teeth and just death look in his eye. And uh, after he shoots him a couple times and it doesn't stop him, he turns and runs from the kid, eventually running into a church. And the only thing that stopped the kid is the church. And uh, he talks to about how he's surprised his father used to say the church would save him. He never think it was real. And now he fully believes that there are vampires in Philadelphia. And about that time, we rejoin the son. And he's like, man, dad was going... He was just completely mad. Like, he got himself dead because he's crazy. But the only person that's referenced in the, the journal, other than his father, is the lady from the morgue. So he goes to see her and asks if it's real. And uh, while he's there, she tells him that they both heard it, and best she can tell that it is real. 
and tells him where his father went the last night. And of course, the son's like, this is crazy. I gotta go see this for myself. This is just ridiculous. And so he also goes to the Hell House. And he's hunting around in there and eventually he finds a room with all the crazy writing on the wall. Which, of course, he's not aware that's what that is. We know because we're the audience. And then he enters another room where he sees a bunch of people hanging upside down from the roof. And uh, he wakes a couple of them up and then he runs. Now, granted, he's there during the day. And best we can tell, no one follows him. Uh, but that evening, as he's also spinning out of control with this crazy thought, he decides to go to the graveyard and dig up his father's body. Um, which is kind of crazy, but, I mean, last time Dad was around, in theory, he was with these people, or I died with these people, so... Um, anyhow, eventually he digs up the body, and uh, once he opens the coffin, well, guess who's alive inside? Uh, yeah, it's Dad. Um, that's basically where the first issue closes, with the crazy reveal inside the grave. And it's nuts. Um, like, as a story, I, I kind of dig the way it's paced. It's, it's very, uh, I don't know. I want to say it's like, um, who's the guy that directed Memento? We just talked about him on another podcast. David Lynch. No, that's not right. Uh, did the Dark Knight Returns movies. Who's the director that did that? Which one? The Dark Knight Returns movies. Nolan. Christopher Nolan, that's right. So, the way this book moves feels kind of like Memento. It doesn't move backwards at all. Like, if you're aware of that movie, the movie moves basically backwards. But the way it jumps between different parts in the, in the legend, in the journal that the son's reading, it moves to me like that. And I kind of think that's cool. The art's really gritty, but it's, it's supposed to be a horror story. And it's a vampire horror story, so the art fits the story. Other books I probably wouldn't like it on. Like if you put this on Superman art-wise, wouldn't be a fan. But because it's a horror story and it's a vampire horror story, I feel like it fits really good. Um, score overall, I mean, I give it a three. I like the way it moves because it moves crazy. There's pieces that are really hard to read because a lot of it, when we're reading the journal, it's written in cursive. And there's points where the lettering is really small. So that part does get rough read-wise, only because you're dealing with this broken cursive for the sake of where it's coming from. But since you have the voiceover from like a movie, you kind of don't have any other choice. So I kind of wish the font was a different size. It's, it's not the size. It's the way that they like, they do it. Like the, it's, it's the way it's written. Even for me, it's hard to read. Right. And like, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't like by any means, but like my vision's way better than yours. <laughs> it is like, like we sit on the couch together and you're like, what does that say? And I'm like, I can read like things that you like, I know I have better vision than you. Like, it's fine. That's not a big deal. Like I have good eyes. My ears, though, like, you can hear, like, did you hear that? And I'm like, I didn't hear anything. So, like, that's why we're, like, see no evil, hear no evil. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, I don't know who you are. I, I'll i be, I'll be, uh, Gene, uh, who's, who's, uh, Willy Wonka? Gene Wilder. I'll be Gene Wilder, I guess, if you want to be Richard Pryor. I guess it makes e- the most either sense. way, we'll figure it out. You know, but I just, it's hard to read. It's just straight up hard to read. Like, I had to, like, actually sit and, like, really focus and it was like trying to read like your your weird coworker who like didn't sleep all night because they like got wasted for nine days in a row like their handwriting to tell you what needs is done today like handwriting like that's how it was written it was consistent consistently terrible and i know it's supposed to represent a diary but like or a journal but like it was bad it was really hard it was like it was difficult to understand um, the art in general, I thought was difficult to see. Like, like sometimes it seemed like the kid was 
the adult and vice versa. Like I was like, wait, what's going on? Why is the, uh, it, it was overall the art and the print like were confusing and not good to me. Um, I liked the idea of it being a vampire story. I thought that was cool. I thought they were, when I first started reading it, like, did I cut you off? Did you, did you give a full score? Um, yeah, I think I did. I said three. Yeah. Um, me, it was kind of the middle of what I was saying, but that's all right. Sorry. I was so, just like, but you were talking about like, the, like the, like the script from like the, the oh, journal. Yeah. No, so the like, that's why like, I was like, like, eh, it's hard, man. It was really, really difficult, but it wasn't good. Like it was, um, the idea is cool. I can see this is a screenplay, like a like a uh, a screenplay for a TV show, and it'd be a cool TV show. Be fine with it as a TV show, um, but as a comic, it's it doesn't make sense because it's too all over the place, and it's like the art isn't fluid enough and clear enough to make it make you understand what's going on, and not even in like. Oh, I'm not sure if those are zombies or vampires. It's like, oh, I can't tell if that's the son or the dad in this scene. Because, like, it's just not well... The art's... I thought the art was honestly horrible. Like, I don't say that very often on this show. But, like, I was, like, extremely disappointed in the art. Like, it was hard for me to understand. Like, I, I said, like, four... I, I read it twice. I read it from start to finish twice to make sure I didn't miss anything. And I was just like, man, this thing is difficult to understand and read. And it's just like, I just, I struggle with it. I get like a one and a half and I don't give low scores. Like, I mean, a three and a half to two and a half is kind of like low for me. It was like one and a half. And the only reason I give it a one and a half is because the writing, I think where they're going with it is a story is cool, but like, it's just too, it's too difficult to understand with like how terrible the art was. Like, it's sometimes, sometimes the, the, the writing is too difficult to make the art not it doesn't matter how you can't if one's good and one's terrible it, it sometimes it's so one so terrible that the other doesn't balance out and this one is just like wow it's just not good like it was it was it was a struggle to get through it and um it's disappointing because i love i love almost everything image does and most of the time like when we do the image of the indie book usually i'm the one that's like oh yeah i dig this but like, i was like man this is difficult to read and i read it twice because i didn't want to like miss anything but like I was, I struggled. So I'll give you the print. The print I did have a problem with, and I don't think they should have not done the weird cursive font. I think that it just need to be printed bigger, or yeah, just printed bigger because it was, the way it was written, it just it's and it's supposed to be the old man's writing. So like all that makes sense to me. I guess I had a different opinion of that because I, I feel like the art fits because of the style of story it is, because it's not supposed to be, you know, your normal. And that's fine and dandy, but like the journal part was like, you can make that clearer. Like, oh yeah, I agree. That's what I was saying before we. Like yeah. it was, it was purposely like, it was so bad it was almost purposely bad. It's like, oh, I want them to barely be able to read this, and it's just like, man, you can make it look like it's a journal entry, like without making it like impossible to read. Yeah. Like it really was like somebody who left you like a note, and you're like, what is that saying? Is this like? Well, that's pretty much normal with everyone. I mean, note-wise, it's not the easiest to read anybody's writing, but it be, being this built to be read by just everyone, yeah, you should have picked a different But even, like, even like hair color, like, he's, like it's his dad, it's him, it's his dad, it's him. It's just like, they they look so similar in things 
that it's like you can't, like, it's almost... Well, like, color tone-wise, Dad's usually gray, and the son is not. Yeah, kind of, but kind of not, though, even. Like, even, you see, I went back through it the same way. Like, I, I, you know, I was trying to look for something like that as well. Some, like, like, like film noir style, like, kind of something to set it back, set it apart. And it's just like, hmm. There's scenes where, like, the dad looks just like him. And it's like, I don't know, man. I thought the art was, the art, like, piece by piece, like, like scene by scene, like, frame by frame, the art's good in that way. But as far as the art goes with the fluidity of the book, because, so, like, the artist is good at what he does. Like, he can be like, oh, this scene is supposed to have, like, a guy standing over, like, a corpse and this and this and that. Like, it. It it's good, it's cool. It's like the painting style, like the weird, but like, but yeah, I I just I couldn't like it. I struggled with it. I sure, str- I struggled with it. So, right. well, not not every book's for every person, so you know, whatever. But the, I, the two characters do look similar. The father and the son do. They do, and, and but, like the second time through, like I get when it's the son and when it's the dad, but like. If you just, pick, I mean, my, that's the things like we're trying to like sit and like analyze these books. No, oh, yeah. As as a thing, if you were to only go through it once, I I, I guess it, I could see where it would be. I mean, it would, it would be rougher. And like like I said, score wise, as a thing in general, there's plenty of books that you love that I hate. So it's not like like that's a thing at all. So. And books I like that you hate. So, but even books like like even like the Conan twenty ninety nine book, like you loved it, and I I I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but I I I, I could get what was going on. I liked the right. art. I I got the flu the fluidity of the story was there. Sure, you know what I mean. Like, like it was a little dry at times, but it, like at least I got was I mean, and this one it was just it read like a television show that's going to have three seasons. Well, I guess I can see that. And so that's what frustrates me is like, I see that. Yeah. And it's like, as a comic, you don't have, you don't have like the, the actor being in there with like the, like the, the real life, the feel like, right. it's just like, you got to like hope that the person who's reading's imagination is so good and that they're just going to be so into this story that they're going to dive into it and just be into it and just like really get it. Like it's you like when you do art like that, you have to make things sure things are very clear, like not, not clear as in like, Oh, it's a dark room when I'm not sure what I'm seeing in this dark room, but isn't like, you have the, to be able to tell the difference between the characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, that's, that's the frustrating part. Yeah. I guess you're just like saying. in a TV show, you know, Hey, this is a different person because it's a different actor. Right. You know what I mean? It's not like, so that that's that's the problem with it, right? Yeah, actor wise, I could see that being a if you if you're using people, you'd have Sam Jackson stand next to I don't know, insert almost anyone, and you'll know Sam Jackson's Sam Jackson. So yeah, I I, I can see what you're saying. That's a thing. So anyway, I I struggle with it, but cool. Um, okay, well, let's move on to the uh, Basketful of Heads. Basketful of Heads, DC Comics, Black Label Imprint, Joe Hill Presents, Hill House Comics. Didn't really dig into that. I probably should have. I don't know, like, if if it's, it seems, I know that 
So Joe Hill has an imprint. I know Gerard Way has an imprint. Is it under the Black Label as well? Um, it is now. Like uh, you, they, they moved it. Well, initially they just didn't have any other precursor to it. So there's Young Animal, which is the Gerard Way one, and then there's Hill House, which is the. But they're all they're all both under Black Label, right? Yeah, they okay. are. Cool. I think even at this point, I mean, the only other one would be Salmon Universe, and I think technically it's also considered Black Label. So pretty much anything that's not normal DC proper falls underneath the Black Label consortium, even if it's stuff that could be. I mean, the Gerard Way stuff could easily be regular continuity. It doesn't not fit, so... But, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a broad spectrum what's under Black Label and what's not. But, yeah, this one falls underneath that, too. And this is Joe Hill, uh, Stephen King's kids, the guy who's in charge of this one. And there's a batch of books coming out underneath his imprint. Um, this is the only one he's actually writing, though. The other couple are like, uh, once he's just like Gerard Way was writing Doom Patrol, but not Cape Carson and not Mother Panic. They were the ones that they, they set up and like put the ideas out there and the other writers are actually writing it. This is the one he's actually writing. So this is written by Joe Hill. Um, it's illustrated by Leo, Leo Max. It's like another single name art, like artist. I mean, there's we, more than those. You need to be surprised how many there there's are. There's been a lot lately. Yeah. Been a lot lately. But, uh, so this book opens up with a person walking in the rain down some sort of bridge, and they have a basket with an American flag draped over it, and you see a little eyeball poking out. Um, one arm is carrying the basket. One arm is carrying an axe. And the there's some word dialogue coming out of the basket that, like, two heads, basically, it seems like, or two somethings in there that are, like, talking to one another, and they're arguing, and then they're like, hey, no biting, and they're like, there's a screaming... And then a truck pulls up, and they're like, hey there, um, this is terrible weather. What you got there in that basket? And then the intro, and then it like it says before, Brody Island, Maine, September 1983. And it's a dune buggy police car. It's like, like a little dune buggy. It's like the, the Volkswagen um, Beetle. But like they used to like trick him out for like to like drive on beaches and sand and things like that right really. like beach, beach cruiser style um and it's like some guy in a, and like and he's obviously some sort of police officer talking to some girl and uh she's like looking over she's sitting on the edge of this bridge looking down like talking about all the trash and she's like yeah but somehow it still looks pretty and uh they're sitting there chatting and they're flirting back and forth you realize that they're like boyfriend girlfriend of some sort and um he's like wait a minute what time is it and she's like it's five past five and he's like oh i'm off duty that means I'm done for the summer. That means he was like some sort of like summer like deputy program that he's he's in school. He wants to be in um, law enforcement, but like he's just it was kind of uh, just like some sort of program that like he just like, serving as like a deputy officer. Like the way the police worked back in the eighties, it was different and not one hundred percent different. But you could be a deputized officer and working at a paycheck, but you weren't technically an officer officer. I don't even know about that. I just yeah. Think. Being a deputy was different kind of thing. But so they get, they get in the vehicle and they're cruising back into town and like, he's supposed to have duty now. And they were talking about like getting more serious, buying a car together. And he's like, you know, I didn't really make that much money this summer. Um, you know, I'd love to do these things with you, but it's, it's, you know, I just don't, I'm not sure. And you know, and as they're talking, they, he's talking about how expensive it is to stay with where he's at, where they're at, and where he's working is like this beach type resort area, and so it's very expensive to live well, there. It's, well, it's like a, it's like northeastern easternly coast, like right. 
So um, touristy type place. And yeah, so he's talking about like some things that he went through, like seeing like some dead bodies and things like that. And she's like, she didn't realize he went through that. And uh, but as they're talking back and forth, it flashes to like somewhere else in like on the island. They like, and it says Shawshank Prison. So there's obviously a crazy like Stephen King feel. But, like, they have some guys, like, ha- hands on their heads, laying face down, hands behind their back, like, prison garb. And, like, four guys got away. And the main deputy guy calls him, like, on the radio. And he's, like, he hears it, and he so he rushes over there. And he's like, hey, you know, what's going on here? I'm here to work. He's like, nope, um, you're done for the summer, man. He's like, well, I want help. Like, I'm into this. Like, I know. So why don't you go to my house? Your girlfriend's here, and... You know, his wife knew about it, but he didn't. But it was like her, his wife knows about a lot of things that like nobody knows about. She just doesn't doesn't like it's like doesn't tell him things. need to know, need to tell kind of like circumstance. Right. Well, so, they were, they're going to have some type of dinner of, like at their house. This is an end, this end of summer kind of clam yeah. bake, and so like he's like, hey, I tell you what, like we can handle this. It's not that big a deal. It's just a bunch of people who's like armed robbery, kind of like no big deal stuff, like just petty crimes. Why don't you go to the house? You know the sa- you know the you know the the uh, combination of my gun safe. I need to just go there and just hang out and just chill out. Like, make sure I'll, it'll make me have a good peace of mind that you're there. And he's like, all right. So he takes off and there goes to the house and it's like the deputy kid and his girlfriend and the son who's like, this is tennis, tennis jock looking kind of pretty boy. He's definitely a preppy type. And the mom, island kid and the mom and, they're all just chatting and like, you know, the tennis boy is like flirting with his, like his girlfriend and stuff. And they're just like chitting, chatting. And then, uh, they walk through the house and they see the axe that's like on display from like the Norse. The son says that his, the dad's very proud of the Norse heritage. But if you flat, if you if flash back to the beginning of the book, um, the guy walking on the bridge in the rain carrying the two heads in the basket has that axe in his hand. Right. So we've seen the axe just before. But yeah, the, the son and the, the mom, is, they're showing off their collection of like original piece type heritage. And they have like some old coins some old, and the axe. And, like museum stuff. Yeah. Like museum quality is what they say. Museum quality. I don't know where God mom knows gets how, it. God, God knows where mom gets this stuff. Right. So they're out on the patio having dinner. And like the, you know, the, the house lady, like, not sure what you would call her. Maid. Maid maybe like comes out to feel and like, why don't you go ahead and go home for the evening? We're fine. And then like the dad, like the, the main cop dad cop guy calls and says, Hey, we found like a dead body. It's this guy that like lives on the island. He was going after him. He slipped and fell on the rocks and, um, you need to go tell his wife. And so the mom has to go do that. And so she, like, I'm gonna go to go take care of this stuff. You guys just chill out and hang out, keep like tie things down. So then it's deputy kid and his girlfriend like sitting on the couch like watching TV, and then they hear um, they hear a noise, and he tells her to run upstairs, go all the way to the master bedroom, lock the door, and he goes to the gun safe, and she still keeps running. And next scene, the the final scene of the book is super like old school horror like book scene is like two guys in orange jumps, like j- prison suits walking in the hallway, with flashlights and a crowbar and she's hiding in the bathroom. And it's like in one month, the ax will fall. So, um, pretty good book, man. Like 
I really enjoyed it. I get a, I go to four and a half. I like the story a lot. It flowed. It flowed really smoothly. Um, I liked the art. I liked the writing. I liked the idea of the story. You're not sure what's going on. It's like a murder mystery, kind of like thriller style book. Like I really, I just really enjoyed it. I'm not sure what else to say about it. I just really liked it. Like I liked all of it. I just, there's, there's the fluidity of the whole book. Like after the, f- the first three books that we just did, this one has fl- like flowed the best to me. And I just, I liked it a lot. So sure. Well, it's pretty good. Like as far as stories, Joe Hill's written some other stuff too. I mean, he's done novels, but as far as comics, he did a series called lock and key and lock and key is fantastic. Like it's, it's great. Um, I want to say it's six, six proper volumes, and there was a, a batch of miniseries books that happened that were part of the normal story, but like were side books. So anyway, I think in the, in the end, there's probably seven volumes, but as a thing, it was great. As far as the art, yeah, I like the art. I mean, it's got a kind of classic 80s look to it, so that's cool. The tone of the book's got, like, the feel and the tone of the book is really cool color-wise. I was pretty impressed with the coloring setup for it. And as far as the rest of it's concerned, it is a neat horror story, and like piece-wise, it's a miniseries. So eventually, we'll get to a a batch of answers. But yeah, the amount of questions are really cool questions, and the cover's pretty good too, because the cover's basically got the person in the rain jacket holding the axe, face all shadowed out. So like at this point, we have no idea who was on the bridge, and or how they're connected, but we know where the axe came from now, and that's like the first part of the of the uh, question. Another question is how is her voice coming from the basket, which is also really weird. Yeah, did you give it a score, Josh? Yeah. Would you give it? I get four and a half, four four and a half. I thought. Okay. Um, I give it a four. It was it was good. I I think uh, story wise, if you dig anything that's got like a I don't know like a thriller feel to it, then you'd like it. Uh, issue two was, came out this last week, so uh, I have not actually read it yet, but I flipped through it, and there's. Some interesting stuff in that one too, for sure. Uh, yeah, as a, as a thing, I, I don't know about the other ones in the, in the Hill House stuff, but uh, this one's definitely a winner. It's it's good. Um, yeah, that's I guess that's all I have to say about that. So yeah, if you haven't if you haven't bothered to check it out, you really should because it's awesome. Um, and it actually, actually has a backup story in it too. Um, the Sea Dogs backup story, which is a separate thing, but yeah, that, that flows through the. Uh, the miniseries as it's going, so... Anyway, uh, let's just move on to Deadpool number one. This is from uh, Marvel Comics, of course. Uh, this is the new new series for Deadpool. We just had a batch of books volumized, so this guy beat the 2000... I guess the 2020 runs technique, what it would, what it would be called, but it's, uh, it's a 2019 release because it just came out like maybe a week ago. Uh, anyhow... So, like, uh, writer on it is Kelly Thompson. Uh, the c- pencils are Chris Bachello, um, B-A-C-H-A-L-O, which, if you paid attention to the X-Men in the 90s at all, then you know the guy's art, because he did a lot of Uncanny X-Men, he did a lot of X-Men stuff, he did a whole handful of uh, uh, books with monsters in it. Like, the guy is awesome. Like, art-wise, he's so good. Like, I love it when I see him on books. He's awesome. So... Yeah, as a as a thing, if nothing else, the book is beautiful art wise. Uh, where it opens up, we uh, s- start out with Deadpool, basically in the clutches of a giant hand, and um, then we see him torn half. 
Which for Deadpool, I mean, is not the most abnormal thing, but at the same time, we get a kind of cool, like, retrospect of his internal monologue where he's thinking about how certain certain pains have a particular pain to them, and this one's a really, really bad one. Uh, there's a whole handful of, like, inner monologue stuff for Deadpool where he's... He makes comments about things like that, but I mean, if you're if you read Deadpool before, the fourth wall stuff still happens. So, but yeah, so basically, he gets himself torn in half, um, and then uh, as we see him lay on the ground, the top half, looking at his second half up in a tree, we encounter this bird-faced character who's in a suit and tie, and he's he's basically a bird, and we wind up finding out that uh, he's on uh, Staten Island. And uh, he's been hired to go out and deal with a monster problem. So as the, he asks, the, the bird asks if he help him, and tells him that, that whatever it is looks, that looks very painful. And he informs the bird, yeah, can you get my uh, second half there out of the tree? It'll save me from having to regrow all this, and I can just stitch myself back together. Which will be way faster. And then he basically tells us he's going to tell us how he got where he is, back in the how things were so much simpler back in the old days. And so as you turn the page, the page turning back is to the old days, which it tells you is yesterday, at the uh, Deadpool's super secret base. And he is, uh... So the old days for him are just yesterday. And inside of his house, I mean, there's a bunch of Deadpool stuff. we got Christmas lights, a big boy uh, stand, a stand-up of, like, a, a beer stand-up with a lady on it. And uh, there's a fella who's tied up on the floor... And, like, Deadpool's clothes are all over the place. And the setting is all black and white except for his his uniform. And he starts talking about how today's his birthday. And he was so busy on his birthday doing happy party things and having a great buffet. And the truth is that he's eating out of a box full of different type of takeouts. And he's kidnapped um, the mailman to have somebody to hang out with him on his birthday. Which is a sad truth. But as he's explaining it to the bird, he tells him how what a great party it was and how he, he gets this call about taking this contract on Staten Island, and since he's been sworn off going to Staten Island, he told the guy initially no. And there's some funny dialogue in there where he's like, it's really too bad that nowadays you don't have, like, phones that slam hang-ups violently, so that way the person on the other side knows how much you hated them calling you. Because now you just push a button, and they can't tell how angry you are. Which is really pretty hilarious. Uh, but then eventually he decides since... Uh, you know, the party was, he was going to leave the party and let the people, uh, they were hanging out with him on the, on the, on the balcony eating the cake, just hang out and finish the party themselves. He would go ahead and help this person because they must need his help. Otherwise, why are they calling him on his birthday? And, uh, I mean, truth is that he was ordering cake and the p- people from the cake place were not willing to l- deliver to him, um, anymore, apparently, because of something else. Uh, so, you know, once he cleared his plate of his imaginary birthday party, he, uh, Alexa take the job, and so he agrees to meet the guy in Staten Island. He takes the ferry to get there. In the process, we see two ferries, the ferry with Deadpool, which is basically empty, and the second ferry, which has a whole bunch of people on it, and eventually all these crazy, like, tentacles come out of the water and start sucking the boat down. And uh, as he's sitting there riding, he's thinking to himself about, you know, how great his party was and how he can't believe he's taking this time of his day to do things and... He knew there was a problem at the other boat, but it wasn't his problem because he wasn't there yet. But eventually it would become his problem. And then uh, after he gets out of the boat, he winds up meeting the fellow that's trying to hire him, um, which is a, a fellow that goes by the name of Blaylock. And he's an older older fellow, white beard, glasses. Beak. 
Blaylock? Oh no, that's not. Yeah, no, you're talking age. about the uh, the uh, <laughs> Sorry. the fellow that helped him get his his uh, legs out of the tree. The uh, part part bird man. Getting a hold of myself. Right. Getting ahead of myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he meets Blaylock, and Blaylock informs him that the new king of monsters has decided that um, Staten Island is going to be the monster home, and so he's been calling all the different monsters to come live there. So zombies and any type of monster person. And so the problem with that is that the people of Staten Island, they really want the monsters gone. And so he's elected, instead of uh, trying to take it through the court, which the court, according to the the bylaws from, I guess, the origin of the state, there was some deal made way back in like the 1700s or something with the humans and the monsters. And this particular monster has fallen, found the legal precedence that they should be the ones that own Staten Island. So going through the court system is going to take forever. So Blaylock's decided to hire Deadpool to, to take out the monsters without going through the court. So basically illegally. And because they're monsters, well, you know, it's not the same as killing a person. So that should be fine. And Deadpool's like, all right, well, let me see my, my payment. And uh, he opens a suitcase full of gold and hands him this glowing gold bar brick. And Deadpool's like, awesome. This is going to be the best payday ever. He's like, you get the rest when you're done and maybe a bonus. And Deadpool's like, oh, I love a bonus. So he leaves to go fight this monster. And uh, now we return to normal time. And he is with uh, Bellus, which Bellus is the bird-beaked assistant to the king. So Bellus would be like your, I don't know, I guess in king terms he'd be like your, he's not your, I guess he's your servant, but he's, uh, I don't know what you even call him. Because he's like, he's like your chamberlain, I guess, is what he is. Bellis? Doesn't he call himself the Chamberlain? Oh, you know, he actually does. Yeah, yeah, he does. So he's the Chamberlain. So basically, he's the guy that gets things done for the for the king. Um, anyhow, so uh, he informs him that he's not happy with the new king. He's from the old king's realm, or reign. And now the new king is, killed, is taken over. He's being forced to serve him. And Deadpool's like, well, you might not want to go with me, man. People usually get dead with me. He's like, oh, yeah, but, uh, you know, if you get this taken care of, then... I don't, I don't have to deal with that, so... He decides to basically stick around with Deadpool, and in the process of Deadpool growing himself back together, uh, we get a boot that all of a sudden shows up on Deadpool's neck, and the boot, we wind up finding out, is Alyssa Bloodstones. And uh, Alyssa, if you don't know who she is, she is the monster hunter in Marvel. She's awesome. Um, she's not that old as a character, but uh, she's freaking great. Like, uh, I think she's awesome. But that's her whole bag. She basically fights monsters. And then kills monsters. That's her whole... That's her whole bag. Anyhow, so Alyssa forms Deadpool. She's there to kill the Monster King, too. And he gets kind of pissed about that. Because he's like, I'm not going to share the bounty with you. I'm not going to split it. And she's like, uh, yeah, Deadpool, just don't get in my way. And uh, she basically walks off and is scoping out where the Monster King is. And uh, Deadpool joins her in this, like, I don't know, like a tower? Like a lighthouse looking down on this monster guy. Who's a giant monster with a big mouth and lots of tentacles, lots of eyes? And uh, Alyssa tells Deadpool that if he gets in, gets in her, she gets in, he gets in her way, she'll kill him. He's like, "Well, good luck with that, because no way kills me. I kind of don't die." And she's like, "Well, you already fought this thing once and lost, so I mean, good luck." And they both basically wind up encountering the monster at the same time. And uh, in in the fight, Alyssa gets grabbed, and the monster's about to put her in 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 his mouth. And then Deadpool, of course, intercedes, and two of them wind up both being captured. And as the monster's getting ready to eat them, well, Deadpool starts cutting pieces off the monster. Eventually leads to cutting off his own arm. Uh, well, he doesn't cut off it. It gets ripped off him. But for Deadpool, it's not that big a deal. And Alyssa's like, oh my god, your arm. He's like, yeah, it'll be fine. 
that was the arm that had all the grenades in it. Because the monster bites the arm off. And Deadpool shows her his other hand that has all the pins for the grenades. And so that basically gets the monster dead. The giant explosion. Which is awesome. Um, just because Deadpool let it happen to make it happen. Which is hilarious. So anyway, as Alyssa's laying on... They're both laying on the ground after the explosion... Uh, Deadpool starts making jokes about her laying on top of him. And she's like, yeah, it's because I fell on top of you. And he's like, yep, you're not getting up, though. Ha <laughs> Deadpool. Um, <laughs> so we fast forward from there. Um, Melissa basically bails. She's like, yep, monsters are gone, so I'm, I'll see you later. And she takes off. Even though there's just a bunch of monsters on the island anyway, she was there for the one and apparently doesn't care about the others. And the, the Chamberlain initially told Deadpool the whole reason they were moving there Oh, no, Blaylock told him that if the king was killed, then all the rest of them would just go back to where they normally live. Because the only one that won him there was the king, so the big mouth one that got blown up. Um, so we learned from uh, the Chamberlain that once you kill the king of monsters, you become the king of monsters. So, effectively, um, since Deadpool killed him, now Deadpool is the king of monsters. And Deadpool's like, this is awesome. So, uh, from there, we wind up seeing one more scene with Alyssa as everyone's chanting King Deadpool and tossing him in the air like Hip Hip Hooray style. Um, and Alyssa's on the phone with someone, and she tells them they have a different kind of problem now. And then we rejoin Deadpool, who's wearing a, a golden crown, and he's talking to himself about how great it's going to be with the party and the dancing girls, and as he's sitting there, he winds up seeing all these monsters standing there looking at him. He's like, wait, there's no dancing girls? Like, this is a terrible party. And uh, the Chamberlain introduces him to a batch of the uh, of other characters. And we get a whole roster of characters that are supposed to be the king's, like, bodyguards. And Deadpool's like, oh, so you guys all failed. You're not very good bodyguards. Well, it turns out, for whatever reason, the king had sent them away to do some mission. And I don't know if that's going to come back later or not, because it doesn't in this particular book. But one of the one of the particular uh, bodyguard types is not very happy about things, and Deadpool eventually talks to him, and he's like, the only reason you're mad is because you failed, and you failed because you weren't here. So I mean, it's not really your fault, right? But you feel bad because you're kind of terrible. And I don't need bodyguards anyway, because you can't kill me, so you guys can all go home. And uh, that doesn't make any of them happy either. Uh, but the Chamberlain now tell, lets Deadpool know he's got to meet some of the uh, other aristocrat types, and, like, one of them is a snowman, like, straight up Frosty the Snowman snowman. And uh, he's like, so they have gifts for you. You just take their gifts, and then we can move on with your kingly duties, because we got a problem in the harbor with another monster that's destroying boats and causing problems, which is the one we saw earlier destroying the other uh, fairy. Which is actually a pretty good joke, because the bird, uh, the Chamberlain, says, uh, yeah, we have to go deal with the fairy problem in the harbor. And he's like, fairy, like, little people with wings? And he's like, no, no. Like, boats. He's like, oh, that's too bad. It's, it's hilarious. Um, anyway, well, the snowman decides to give him his, he's going to give him his, uh, his kingly prize, and it's basically the snowman giving him part of himself. So the snowman throws up snow all over Deadpool, which is also funny. Just ridiculous. Uh, so Chamberlain takes him to the waterfront where he has a talk with the crazy tentacle thing. And uh, he basically tells him, well, you can't be doing what you're doing. Uh, you know, I, what, are, what are you going to eat? I don't know what you're going to eat. Uh, good luck with that, but you got to stop what you're doing, or I'm going to have to kill you. And that's kind of where the conversation ends, and then we get this weird interlude where uh, all of a sudden Deadpool's getting bit on the foot by a shark-faced thing. And we land pull, shark. 
Right, land shark. It's not a shark face thing. It's a land shark. I mean, yeah, that's... If you know the land shark, then you would know from a previous series that Gwynpool had it's a... baby a, shark with legs. It is. It's a land shark. Uh, we get the reveal that Gwynpool has showed up to visit Deadpool. And Gwynpool, um, prior to this storyline, had collected a baby shark as a pet. A land shark as a pet. And uh, she wants Deadpool to take care of the land shark because she can't be sure she'll have a home for him because she doesn't always have a book. And if you listen to last week's episode, then you should understand why that makes sense. Uh, but also explains why she doesn't have Land Shark in those particular books. Um, so basically, she tells Deadpool she needs him to take care of her baby, and then she bounces and leaves Deadpool with Land Shark staying there with the bird guy, with one normal arm and one weird baby arm because it's slowly growing back, yeah. which is just normal, pretty normal for Deadpool, yes. Um, and so Deadpool's like, you know, I'm tired of doing all this King stuff. Can we go do something that's like, like more fun? And he asked Chamberlain if they can get ice cream. He's like, oh, yeah, we can get ice cream. And Deadpool's like, awesome. Uh, so from there, we join Deadpool and the Chamberlain and the Land Shark at a ice cream stand where Deadpool tells him he wants basically everything. And he's like, all right. And then he informs Deadpool it's going to be it's going to cost money. And Deadpool's like, wait, hang on, I'm the king. He's like, king of what? He's like, well, do we get a king discount? And the guy at the register's like, I can give you a senior discount, I guess. And Deadpool's like, that's good enough. So he buys ice cream for... Oh, he also asks if they have meaty-flavored ice cream. And the guy's like, uh, no? And he looks at the shark, he's like, they don't have meaty-flavored. And so he basically winds up ordering two orders of Chunky Monkey that's not actually made of monkey. For him and the land shark, and, and for the Chamberlain. So the three of them sit there having ice cream on the edge of this building next to the, uh, the, the, the bridge. And, uh... Deadpool basically tells the uh, Chamberlain that he's done for the night and that he's to go ahead and go home and they'd figure things out tomorrow. And so we fast forward a little bit. It's evening. The Chamberlain's gone home, so the bird-faced guy. He lets himself into his apartment, tries to turn on a light. The lights are out. He's like, oh, great, power's out again. And he walks into the room. He's talking about how terrible that is. And then uh, he's greeted by somebody else who makes him dead. And uh, then we get a flash to see who it was that makes him dead. And uh, it's Craven the Hunter. And Craven's like, oh, this place is going to be great. Craven the Hunter here to prove his worth and hunt monsters. Crazy thing, though. Regular Craven is dead. And we have seen that he has a lineage, so a son, who's taken the mantle of Craven. So this particular Craven apparently is going to come make his marks um, on the monsters on the island? So... I mean, it says with the next issue, clearly who we're going to be dealing with, at least for a bad guy, is going to be Craven, which is awesome. Uh, as far as story and art, I mean, the art's fantastic. Like I said, Chris is amazing. Uh, the story's fun. There's a lot of double entendre writing in here and, like, little gags and little jokes as you go along. Like, the whole Frosty the Snowman throwing up on him. I mean, hilarious. So, it, Deadpool shenanigans, great. Uh, I feel like the book floored pretty good. I, I dug it. I thought it was awesome. Uh, I give it a four. I mean, yeah, it's not the change the world type book, but I mean, it's it's Deadpool, so it's fun. Anyway, uh, that's all I got to say about it, I guess. Josh, what do you think about the uh, Deadpool? Give it a four as well. Like the art, like the story. Um, there wasn't a lot of the. Did something happen in the Deadpool like lore that I don't know about that where he doesn't like speak in like four different 
times to himself anymore? Or I think it, just... it depends on what book it is. Um, as far as inner monologue, he still usually has a second voice. And in this, I think the uh, him telling the story of his birthday is supposed to be that other voice. Because all that stuff is done like as a a mental monologue. But as far as like things, there used to be three voices. One of the voices we wound up finding out eventually was Madcap, and Madcap got separated from Deadpool, so one of them went away. Um, but yeah, it's still there. It just depends on the writer whether it's done as balloons. So, wait, 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 so what? So a while back, during one of the storylines, um, Mercs for Money, or Merc, yeah, Mercs for the Money, we wound up finding out that at some point Deadpool and Madcap got merged. So Madcap, the character, is like a cartoon character in Marvel, who's kind of like a Deadpool, except not as popular, got merged with Deadpool. So this the third voice in his head, this like last, I don't know, three or four years, has actually been Madcap. And when they get separated again, Madcap goes back to just being his same shenanigan cartoony character, and that extra voice is gone from Deadpool's head. As far as the writing in this, why they don't have word balloons for both of them, I think it's just because one's the inner monologue and the other one's the actual voice. Hmm. But where he had right. three, one was Madcap, and Madcap is no longer connected to Deadpool. So there's that. Hmm. Okay. I give it a four. I like the art. I like the story. Um, I like Deadpool. Um, I like the, the, he's the king of the monsters now. I think that could be like a whole plethora of amazingness in the future. I, um, the Craven the Hunter thing at the end, I'm like, meh. I like the, I like the Gwenpool thing. I hope that like the land shark becomes like an ongoing thing, kind of like how Bob was an ongoing thing and how. Oh yeah, right. His weird uh, sidekicks. And how, yeah, just all that kind of stuff. I think, I hope that like the land shark thing continues because I think it's hilarious. Um, well, it's a baby land shark, so it's cute. Yeah, I think it's amazing. So I just keep, hope it continues. So anyway, I liked it. It was good stuff. Like, uh, I had that, it had that Ramos, like, um, Humberto Ramos flair. Like, I don't know if this guy worked with Ramos or, like, maybe inked with him or maybe, but it's a very simple, it's very stylistically like Ramos. They, they have similar pieces to him. Like, Chris, uh, Bacello, he's been around for a while too. Like, he did a whole lot of Uncanny X Men, he did a whole lot of X Men. Art-wise, he's been around a fair minute. I couldn't tell you which one's been around longer, but style-wise, like, he did all this stuff with Phantom Mask when that first when he first became a character. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get it. I just, I think that, like, because I like Humberto Ramos, it has that sure. flair, like, where the eye, like, the ma- the eyes and the mask, like, have their own personality, that oh, kind yeah, of thing. Like sure. That kind of stuff. Stylistically, it's very similar. Like, I like it a lot. Um, story's funny. Um, anyway, I liked it. Cool. All right. Uh, let's see. Well, do a lesson of the day, Josh. What did you learn today? What did I learn today? Yeah. Um, I learned that you can't buy things at Walmart and expect them to work when you open them out of the package. I mean, not always. Almost never. <laughs> like, one out of two is bad. Like, that's not good. Right. There's good, and then there's bad. Bad is bad. Good is good. That's bad. <laughs> all right um so what did i learn today that you can cut people's heads off as long as the axe comes from a museum <laughs> i never would say that's true or if it's conan's axe both those things make it okay no because if conan had an axe it'd probably be like you know like a wood chopping axe and it'd be the orange he his hair's orange the first issue the first book we went over he used to cut that guy's head oh, or conan like conan like a, uh, oh you were thinking of brian again 
Yeah, same no. guy, right? It, I mean, kind of. Same guy, right? If he t- if he just lifted a little bit of weights, I think he probably would be. Conan's like nine feet tall, and like I know, right? If, if that dude swung an axe, even if he was skinny, it'd still like swing real hard. Probably. He just maybe in this reality, he just got soft. I don't know. <laughs> it might be the same person, just oh, in a different reality. Man. If he if he's <laughs> if he spreads realities, and that's that's our Conan, Conan. Okay. How many people do you know that are named Conan slash Conan? There was that kid in the the anime movie. That's not a real person. I mean, okay. I'm going to go with, and I don't know any personally then. But that's that's his real name, though. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll have a kid name it Conan and then give it an axe, and we'll see where it goes. (laughs) The only kids I have are my cat and my dogs and my... You know, if I could get my cat to carry an axe around, I'd be into it. It'd be super dangerous. <laughs> I'd be into reasons. it, though. I oh think it'd be God. cool if we could get him to walk on his back legs. Uh, it would be hilarious. With an axe. I mean, that's something that you two would go crazy for. Or put, like, an axe on his tail. I mean, that'd be... You could do that anyway, but... Some sort of, like... idea. Some sort of, like, air, airplane metal where it's lighter. Sure. But, like, still extra yeah. sharp. Bad idea. So when he's like running underneath the Christmas tree and whipping his tail, like it might cut the Christmas tree down. Oh my gosh. It sounds like such a bad idea, but it'd be kind of funny the first time. Huh. As long as he doesn't hit you in the leg with it, right? I mean, that, as long as, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Silly. There you go. All right. Um, all right. Well, let's do, uh, do you have any books to watch, Josh? Uh, no. No? I mean, kind of out of loop, a little behind. So. Sure. Um, well, other than the Joe Hill stuff, which, I mean, it, again, is still fairly new. I mean, we're going to have a, a new Thor come out, and it's going to be Donnie Cates writing it, so I think that'll be really cool. Uh, Marvel's getting ready to put out Marvel X, which is a prequel to the Earth X, so it's being written by uh, Alex Ross. Uh, however, the art's not by Alex Ross. I think it'll be cool. Uh, I guess we'll see how many people are actually interested in it. As far as uh, I think it's a little late for the show for it to come out as a book. So if any of you are listening to this or in the store, uh, if you want it, let me know because we did not order a lot. Um, then we're gonna have issue one star from Marvel come out, and this is the other like uh, Carol Danvers character. Uh, she's not actually Carol, but she's a uh, human and um, Cree hybrid. She has a cool costume. Uh, she started out in Captain Marvel number eight from the 2019 series. And, uh, as far as a thing, like, she's there basically to kill Carol. And that didn't really go so well for that. But, uh, she's getting her own little miniseries, so I think that'll be cool. Um, so yeah, that's basically all I got for books this week. Uh, there's a lot of new stuff. New previews just came out. We're gonna get a new Wolverine. I should know who's writing that, but I don't. Um, so. I think that thing's scheduled to be February release, if I remember right. So that'll be cool. Yeah, that's basically it. Um, I got anything else over there, Josh? The new segment that we talked about uh-huh. last week. Action figure breakdown. <laughs> This week, um, we have the Acid Rain EOS Raider 303 Marine Team uh, female figure. Um, Acid Rain, we did Sophie's character last week. Um, Kit Lau is the creator of this, this uh, three, and three, three and three quarter inch line, more like one eighteenth scale. Um, this is a 
just a regular like infantry marine figure from like the series. Um, this figure comes in like a like a dark green and gray and some brown like color tones. Comes with an amazing helmet. Um, you can see that the eyes, the head, and everything are like very painted very well. Has a gas mask. The if you don't know about the Asarain universe, it's like basically like a apocalyptic World War Two future where the world's in like disarray and it's hard to live in. There's not much going on, and so there's like a, a couple sects that still like exist. With yeah. giant transforming cars into robot mech suits and stuff. Well, not not cars necessarily, but like motorcycles. Like some things transform, some things don't. Jeep like, did. But like you you learn that like coffee is like um, super valuable. Honey is super valuable. There's like a t- like I think next week I'm gonna do one of the honey figures. The it's it's like gold, it's like pure gold. So they have like the super amazing soldiers like protect the honey and. uh but anyway, this one, the the Marine figure, she comes with like an actual cloth bandana that goes around her neck. It's red, like a reddish-orange color. It's really cool. Um, the top of the helmet is like a 303 like logo printed on the top of it, which is really cool. The detail in these figures is incredible. Um, it has like shoulder, lower shoulder, elbow, wrist, and actual hand joint on the arms. It comes with hip, mid-hip like twist, and knee, and then ankle for the legs. And then you have your like your uh, midsection twist part, like that's also part of a articulation. Other articulation stuff, yeah. Um, has a backpack. It's a really well done figure. It uh, it comes in like a slide box, and then you can open it up. If, if you're one of the, if you're one of the purists like CBS who like doesn't like to open up a package, this package isn't sealed. You just like it. It comes in like there's a box that the plastic box slides into and then each the figure the weapons and everything else are in like little pla- uh, plastic bags you can just like undo the tape and slide it in and out um it's pretty cool because you can display them if you want if you don't want to you don't have to um the weapons it comes with it comes with a, like a rocket launcher a submachine gun um just a metal 303 like very detailed like uh like cast iron like uh slightly rusty looking um emblem i'm not sure what that connects to it also comes with like some sort of like blowtorch looking gun, um, some handguns, and like an AK-47 with a bayonet type looking gun, like futuristic. It also comes with an alternative full mask head. This one, the head that is on the body when you get it is the female eyes and like you can see flesh, but then you can get the one that has like goggles and uh, the full gas mask, so... And the head interchange is very easy. You just like pop it off, pop the pop the new one on. Um, the rubber is relatively soft. Pretty amazing figure. Really stoked on it. So, well, what do you think about this? I mean, it looks like a cool figure. As far as the uh, style, all the figures they make are pretty cool. So, look wise, the whole acid rain story is really is really a neat idea. And like, uh, if you like post apocalyptic stuff, then it it fits a particular niche. It's really cool. Uh, I do like how the packages, they're designed where you can open them and put them back together. It's not like the same as a card back figure where you have to rip the package apart in order to do anything with it. Oh, it's like glued on. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have to destroy the package because it opens up and you can put it back if you want to. Yeah. So as far as like display, it's different than the, your, uh, like three, three quarter G.I. Joe style or Star Wars style. It's not the same kind of packaging at all. Um, as a thing though, I mean, it's cool. It's got a really cool look to it. 
I think, most, like I said, most of these figures are freaking awesome, so. You know, like, I, the stealth figures, the, the, this year's San Diego Comic Con figure, um, that whole wave, there's like, they're that sub team, I guess. Not a big fan of. They're like almost like transformable figures. They even like add and subtract body parts to like make them more like robotic, less robotic. I'll, I'll probably get it out in the future. Like not as big of a fan of that one, but like overall, every figure has been pretty incredible. Um, every time they do a figure with like an actual character face, it's the one thing that this company, Asserian lacks, is that there's only, there's Bob, there's Damien, or Damon, and there's Sophie, and those are the only, oh, and then there's, uh, they don't really, I don't know if they gave him a name, but he's like the, uh, construction worker guy. Like the, the, those are the three, only three characters of probably like the 30 figures that they've done that have actual faces. Right. Face or name characters. Yeah. So like, other than that, like if you could get more of that, I'd be into it. But other than that, like this is probably my favorite, like 118th scale, like figure right now. Like they're just, I mean, there's a bunch of them. We talked about last week, but this is my favorite. Like, he just, uh, Kit Lau does an amaz- some amazing stuff. And it, it's kind of just him, you know, and like he, on his Instagram, like I think it's just at Acid Rain or I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not 100% sure what it is. I think that's what it is. It's just at Acid Rain figure or something like that. But uh, he like did a three, like just one day, like it was him and his daughter were hanging out and he like did a, a 3D printed version of like of him. Like, and his daughter as figures, like, and then I posted that as a picture and he just like made those that day because they were hanging out together. That's cool. And they, they couldn't move or anything. They was just like a 3D printed, like yeah, sculpt, yeah. but just like the dude loves figures. The dude loves his family. And you could tell. And so it's, it's, it seems like a really cool company and that's why I support it. So cool. Right on, right on. Um, well, nothing else. Google pictures and uh, look up acid rain. You'll be able to see some of the stuff we're talking about. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, that's it, man. It's a key. Nope. Oh, come on, man. Some of those, some of those, uh, Kamen Rider figures are fantastic. Huh? Did you do one eighteen scale? We can talk about it, but yeah. there is a couple actually that are. Majority of them are six inch though. Uh, anyway, uh, it's a key.